why he's sitting on the seat next to me. And I just asked God why. And not why I had my son, but you know, why is he struggling so much? I'll never forget what God spoke to me. And he said, Craig, your child is not a burden. Your child's a gift. This is Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Taylor Berglund, and today I'm excited to welcome over the phone line, Craig Johnson. Craig, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you today? I'm doing really well. I'm excited to talk with you. Uh, For those of our listeners who may not be familiar with you, you're the director of ministries at Lakewood Church, and you're also the author of a really cool new book called Champion. Uh, So can you talk a little bit just about uh, your story for people? Yeah, so... You know, Champion really started out of uh, our story where we came to Lakewood Church for the first time, and it it really started before that when we had uh, our son Connor. And before that, we had kind of our life planned out. Um, And it's interesting when you have your life planned out, you know, you, you, uh, when God tries to surprise you, you know, I call it kind of an unrehearsed destiny. You know, you didn't plan it, but God had it planned all, all along. But uh, my wife and I had a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old, and uh, we had had our children when we were y- younger and in our marriage. And, uh, you know, we we thought uh, by the time they hit college, you know, we were going to have more time together. <laughs> and just kind of had it all planned out, but God had it planned. And so when my child was, when our kids were 12 and 10, um, I went and got, obviously, a, a vasectomy, you know, to stop having children on Thursday, and then my wife came in crying on the following Saturday, and she said, you won't believe this, but I'm pregnant, and then I started crying, (laughs) (laughs) and then, you know, it was just, it was just a a surprise, but after you get through the shock, you know, we were so excited to to have our son Connor, and when Connor was born, he was just like our other two kids, would talk to us, would interact with us, would uh, give us a hug and a kiss, and and, um, you know, would play with other friends. And, and he was actually more talkative than our other two children, even at one and a half and almost two. And, and uh, he was just a joy to, joy to be around. And then um, one day, uh, everything just shifted. Um, we had just came to Lakewood. I think we were there six months. And uh, it was during the time where we were moving from one building to the other building. Uh, we're moving from the older Lakewood to uh, to uh, the compact center. And when that took place, you know, they were saying we're going to grow about 25,000 people in one weekend. And so it was so busy. I would call it a good storm, but it was a storm for sure when you think of all the volunteers you have to get and all those things that happened. And then um, about six months into it, um, when my son was playing with other friends, now uh, all of a sudden he would just sit by himself, and he would just throw up the wall and play by himself, uh, where he was giving us a hug and a kiss. Uh, now he showed no emotion whatsoever and would look away from us. And where he was um, saying, I love you, Mommy and Daddy, and saying different words, uh, now he stopped talking altogether. And the only way I could really explain it was it was like a bad car wreck where one day your child's one way, and not too long after, he's another way. And so we were just like uh, any other parents, you know, just trying to figure out what was the matter, um, what we do, 
and uh, we're just trying to, to, to work through that. And so um, that was that was a big challenge, you know, for us because we, we had never had a, a child uh, really with special needs in, in my family. And so when you're trying to search that out, when you're trying to, to figure it out, uh, there's a couple things you'll find out really quickly, you know, for parents with special needs. Number one, you know, um, when we got his diagnosis, I'll never forget, uh, I was driving home one day and, and my wife called me and she said, Craig, uh, the diagnosis is that Connor's on the middle of the spectrum and he's going to need help. Uh, he's on the middle of spectrum with autism. And I, I, I said, I said, really? I, and we kind of already knew, you know, but um, I remember at that time, you know, just being overwhelmed and uh, I could hear the enemy just, you know, attack my thoughts with fear and say, your child is going to be worthless and you're going to have to take care of your child all the, all the rest of his life. And he's not going to do what your other kids can do. And, and, and you're, you're a failure as a parent. How'd you let this happen? And all these thoughts. And I remember hitting the gas on my car and driving all the way home. And I, I drove up the driveway and I, I ran upstairs to my son in his room and I picked him up and I said, you are not a victim. You are a victor. You can be all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are the head and you're not the tail. And I remember just speaking those words of faith because I think when the enemy comes in, you know, the enemy is going to just bombard you with thoughts of fear when you're faced with a diagnosis or you're faced with something overwhelming. And what you've got to fight back with them are words of faith. And and that's what we try to do right away. But, you know, one of the things, as I was saying, you know, our family dealt with was the fact that, uh, you know, if you want to develop your child, uh, schools will tell you they're failing in two areas, at-risk kids and special needs. And so the kids with, kids with special needs, it's not that we don't have good teachers in schools. What's happening is there's too many. So autism has grown by 300% since the early 80s. Uh, Ten years ago, it was one in 121 kids being diagnosed with autism. Now it's one in uh, 68. And I think a new study, it just dropped lower. And so, you know, most kids aren't being developed properly in schools. And if you want to put them in private school, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, 1500 to $5,000 a month. So you're just seeing the the desperation, just seeing your child being developed, and that's what a lot of families face. And then another thing families like mine face is rejection society, where you're asked to leave places because they don't feel comfortable around your child, or where uh, you take them to a, a, a pool that, uh, you know, with other kids in the neighborhood and stuff like that, and your child at eight years old, although you've tried everything, hasn't been potty trained and he has an accident in the pool and just the embarrassment you deal with there and or he has a meltdown, you know, in the middle of a grocery store and you're just trying to help him through it and get him out and everyone kind of looks at your child like a freak and, you know, why aren't you uh, teaching him better behavior? You've tried everything, you know, and uh, so you, you, you face a lot of rejection from society. So most families like mine, they're shut in. Um, they, 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 they get tired of the rejection and, and the awkwardness and not knowing how to, 
to respond. So they, they just shut themselves into their homes. And um, then what you face in churches, um, you know, 99% of churches, I would estimate the church is 100 people across America. And I would estimate that 99% of churches don't have anything for special needs. And yet there are now 30 million and growing kids and teens, especially because of autism. And there are 30 million families like mine. You know, they're just looking for hope every week. And the greatest place you can find hope is the church. It's the hope of Jesus Christ in the world. And, and when you, you can't, your child can't sit in a service and, and he can't be a part of a typical classroom because you're, you're, you know, you've got 20 kids in there that are typical and one that isn't, the teacher has to focus on the one, uh, then the parent just, after a while, it's tough enough just to get them to church. And if, if they, they feel rejected or they feel like, uh, you know, they don't belong, then they just stop going to church. I had a friend the other day, she's an author, and she, she asked, I think, 50 families, uh, what was your most devastating experience as a special needs parent? And uh, the, the 50% of the family said it happened to church. Uh, where they were turned away. And so we got to change that, but that's, that's reality. Uh, there's just not, not a lot of things uh, that are happening, programs that are happening within churches today. And then what we were dealing with at home, you know, um, when Connor stopped talking, uh, he knew he could talk at one time, but he, he now he, he knew it, 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 it wasn't coming out. The brain wasn't communicating uh, uh, with the mouth. And so, he would point at things, you know, and and he when he couldn't get our attention or we didn't understand what what he was wanting, uh, he would begin to have these terrible meltdowns, and the meltdowns just got worse. And we were trying every type of therapy and things like that, but it just got worse. Where you know, I remember just examples of it, you know, him scratching his arms and scratching his face. You know, it's horrifying for. <laughs> You know, uh, parents to watch your child do that or bang his head up against the wall because he's so frustrated. And he had this terrible meltdown. I believe it was in a store. My wife came home and she said, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I can take it anymore. And you got to understand, my wife's my hero. I mean, my wife is, is, is amazing, Samantha. And and, and uh, I knew she was just saying it out of frustration. But I remember... Uh, that day so vividly because I I was driving to work and it was probably the, one of the most intimate conversations I ever had with God. It was like he was sitting on the seat next to me and I just asked God why. And not why I had my son, but, you know, why is he struggling so much? I'll never forget what God spoke to me and he said, Craig, your child is not a burden. Your child is a gift. I said, God, I know what you mean. You know, I, we love our son, you know, and he said it again. He said, Craig, your child is not a burden. Your child is a gift. He said, you're looking at everything that's wrong with him, not looking at everything that's right with him. And I said, God, what are you saying? He said, I'm going to use your son to reach millions of people. I've got to be honest with you. At that time, we were so vulnerable, and even as a pastor, it was hard for me to believe that. I literally picked up a bottle of water said, God, my son can't even ask for a drink of water. How's he going to reach millions of people? I'll never forget what God spoke to me. He spoke to me these four words, and, you know, these are the four words he'll speak to you when you're in a desert, when you're in a 
dry place in your life when you're in a drought and you're just looking for a cool cup of water. And he just spoke these four words and he said, do you trust me? And, you know, I didn't give him the pastoral answer. You know, I didn't have it within me. I just said, you're all we've got. You know, unless you heal my son, there is no cure for autism. So you're all we've got. I said, I trust you. And I remember at that time, you know, um, I thought things were going to get better because I just talked to God. (laughs) They got worse. And the meltdowns got worse. And the challenges got worse. And I remember during that time, I couldn't even pray elaborate prayers. All I could all I could say and muster up at time was, I trust you. Or I just speak the name of Jesus. I say, Jesus. And I found out with God, you don't have to pray elaborate prayers when you're going through times like that. If you can say, I trust you, or if you can say the name of Jesus, because it's so powerful, that's enough. And about three months later, my wife came calling from upstairs, and she said, Craig, Craig get up here, get up here. And I asked her what was, I ran upstairs and I asked her what was the matter. And she said, Craig, I was putting her to bed and I was reading a couple of books. And she said, she said, I was praying over him. And she said, all of a sudden he began to speak. And he began to say one word after another word, one sentence after another sentence, one paragraph after another paragraph. And you've got to understand, I haven't heard my son put together more than two words in three years. And, and tears are rolling down my cheeks. And I said, what do you mean you begin to speak? And she said, Craig, he began to speak as I was praying with him. And I said, what do you say? And so she walked me over his bed and she leaned over his bed. She said, Connor, say it for mommy and daddy. Say it again. My little five-year-old boy looked up at us. And all of a sudden he began to speak and he said, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. And that was my son's first word that he spoke. And... I remember there in that time, you know, we weren't doing the golf clap, you know, we, we lost it. We were running around the house, you know, carried our son. We, I mean, you know, God did, did a miracle. The fact that he spoke a spiritual declaration and not just, you know, quote a Disney movie or something like that. We knew it was, we knew it was a miracle. And what was hap- what happened was, uh, we were bringing our, DVDs or CDs home from Pastor Joel's messages, and little did we know, Connor was taking those DVDs up to his bedroom, and he was putting them in the DVD player, and it didn't matter if the message changed. That declaration is what Pastor Joel says before every message, and that went over and over in his mind, before, and ultimately it became his first words. And so I remember preaching on Wednesday night, and I preached about you know, this miracle, and I showed Connor for the first time, you know, on a video saying, this is my Bible, and obviously at Lakewood, the church just lost it, and Pastor Joel came up to me afterwards, he said, can I speak about that miracle, being such a champion, and (laughs) I said, absolutely, and when he spoke about it, I think it was about a month later, 
few weeks later, uh, that video went around the world. Millions of people saw it and it, and it inspired people. And they started sending emails and T-shirts from around the world, like Conquer and Overcomer. And uh, we knew something, you know, miraculous had happened that with all all these people hearing it. You know, but I forgot what God had told me at that time, you know, in the car. But I'll never forget, we were in Chicago White Sox Stadium. 50,000 people at a night of hope. And Pastor Joel asked Sam and I to walk out with Connor. And they were playing his story. And um, the video on the on the screen. And, you know, as we walked on the field, Connor's waving and excited. I remember looking around and seeing all these people crying and clapping and, and just uh, impacted by his story. And God said to me, he said, remember when you were in the car, he said, I told you to trust me. He said, look at all these people that have heard your son's story. He said, I never go back on my word. And that's what kicked off what would ultimately become the book champion. That's an amazing story. Thank, thank you for sharing it. Um, so through this whole period and this whole experience, what did you learn about the character of God? You know, I, I, I learned that God is faithful, you know, and he'll give you just what you need when you need it. And you've got to put those two things together because what God is continually wanting us to be is dependent upon Him. And, you know, so many people depend upon their talents and their gifts and, and even how society looks at special needs. You know, when, when Jesus, when, when the Bible would talk about the least of these, He wasn't explaining that, that these kids that, you know, maybe have special needs or these adults that, you know, maybe have are medically fragile. They're the least of people. He was just explaining it to us as humans because we look at somebody that's deficient and we automatically go, they're less than or they're the least and we don't know how to respond to them. But gee, but what, what he was talking about there was he was saying, he was saying, when you look, when, when you do it under these, you do it on the least of these, you do it on me. And what he's basically saying is explaining that to us for our perspective, but whatever comes out of the hands of God, it's beautiful and it's powerful. And the best scripture that I can think of is in John 9, you know, 1, 2, 3. And this shows you how we look at things and how God looks at things, you know. You know, as Jesus was walking along, he's a man who's blind from birth, and the disciples asked him, Rabbi, why is this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And that's where we automatically kind of go, right? They're, they must have done something wrong, or, or they're, they're, you know, this child must have done something wrong. And Jesus said it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And I think when we look at brokenness, we look at brokenness as something that needs to be fixed. But God looks at brokenness as someone ready to be used. And Jesus did all kinds of miracles, but the one miracle, the greatest miracle of salvation, he could not do in his perfect body. It had to be broken. 
And I heard somebody say this the other day, you know, brokenness has a perfume that pride can never produce. And we have to know that the way God sees things is a lot different than the way we see things. And he's constantly wanting us to trust him to see things the way he sees it. So I know that you mentioned earlier that 99% of churches or something around there don't have programs in place for special needs. Um, But I know that you've also been very active in trying to take steps to fix that. And you've started something called the Champions Club. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I had my second intimate conversation with God. I was actually, uh, this is probably, I think, uh, you know, six months later, and I was walking through Lakewood Church, and all of a sudden, God just stopped me again. And he said, look at what you're doing for typical kids. So it looks like Disneyland, you know, had all this animation on the walls and all the things that we do for typical kids. And then he said, look at what you're doing for special needs. And at least at Lakewood, you know, we had one room with some caring individuals with about 10 families. But you know, when you put that per capita of how big our church was, it was very little. And God just spoke to me and said, Craig, those kids deserve the very best, just like every other child. He said, when you look in these kids' eyes, he said, who you're looking at is he says, you're looking at me because when you do it on the least of these, you do it on me. He said, favor will follow you and your church when you begin to reach out to these kids and families. He said, I'm not going to let the church or society forget these families and these kids and teens and adults anymore. And so when I heard God say that, I didn't know what to do because we were still walking through it with our son, Connor. And I remember, you know, just, trying to search it, but I knew how to put together a task force and I knew how to, to, to obviously work with leaders and ministries. And so I went to the university of Texas medical center and I, they were, there were two of the top researchers sitting around special needs, especially autism. And I just went to them and asked them to be a part of this task force. And I told them two things. I said, one, this program has to be so good that it can never turn away any family because they've been rejected enough. And I said, secondly, it has to come alongside the parents as much as the kids, because they're the ones carrying the refrigerator on their back 24-7. And so I asked these researchers to be a part of it, these doctors, and they just said yes. They didn't hesitate. They said, we haven't heard anybody doing exactly this. And so then I went to some of the top educators. Uh, One of the doctors I went to, he started the special needs program at the University of Houston. And uh, then I went to some of our staff, and I went to the most important people, um, parents with special needs children. And for an entire year, we worked on this task force on what would ultimately become the Champions Club. And it's a holistic approach, mind, body, soul, and spirit. So there's four stations. There's a physical therapy station, a sensory station, an educational station, and a spirit station. And um, two years ago, you know, the Spirit Station, which does a lot of the curriculum, uh, Dr. Sandy Robinson and I wrote the first full-scope Christian curriculum in history for special needs. And so we started Champions Club with those four stations, and you could do it in a typical classroom. It's totally duplicatable, and you can add as much equipment as you want. So anybody can launch a Champions Club uh, uh, anywhere, and we launched at Lakewood. And we had no idea how many families would come. 
that over 300 families came to Lakewood in the first six months just because of the Champions Club. It was our biggest growth outside of them coming from the one building the next that we've ever had. And uh, from there, you know, people just started hearing about it and from around the world. And now there are over 60 Champions Clubs around the world. There's one on every continent. And um, they're in hospitals. Uh, or we're about to put one in a hospital. They're in public schools. Uh, they're in orphanages. One is in a home in Washington, D.C. for homeless mothers with special needs children. They're in private schools, and they're in churches um, all across the country. If people want to look into the resources for bringing Champions Club to their church or their community, uh, where can they find those resources? Yeah, you can go to championsclub.org, and uh, not only can we'll give you uh, the steps on how to launch a Champions Club, uh, there is... Uh, uh, tools and curriculum, their stories to encourage you, videos, and it'll show you uh, what a champion club looks like. And of course, your book, Champion, is now out in stores. I highly recommend people go check that out, go read the book. Um, but before you go, I wanted to hear from you on this. Um, obviously, the journey with special needs is a huge part of Champion, but this isn't just a book for people passionate about that. Could you give some general encouragement for those facing adversity in their current situation in life? Yeah, you know, Champion is a celebration of everyone who fulfills their purpose through unexpected challenges. And, you know, I know that people who are listening right now to this podcast, uh, some of you are going through droughts in your life. And some of your droughts have been four months, some of your droughts have been uh, a year, and some of your droughts have been 10, 15, 20 years, and you've forgotten what rain tastes like. You, you, as a matter of fact, you, you can't even remember the question <laughs> of your drought because you haven't had an answer in so long. But I love how Psalm says that they go from strength to strength, and you know, what God wants to do is he wants you to come out of your drought and in the abundance of rain. And this book will help you walk through how we came out of droughts. You see, even after the miracle, our droughts weren't over, you know. But once we conquered one drought, we went from strength to strength. And the next drought, it wasn't as hard as the one we just finished. Because once you conquered your desert, you won't respond to the next desert the same way. You'll move from a survivor to overcomer, your test will become your testimony, and you'll live in the vision and not the circumstance, because you'll keep forward. And I just want to encourage everyone out there that, that if you're going through a drought relationally, physically, um, maybe you lost your job, maybe you have a special needs child, maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're facing overwhelming obstacles, I want you to encourage you to do two things. Pray bold prayers and speak the Word of God over your life, because the Word of God is powerful. And I believe that's what we did when we were going through difficult situations. We would pray bold prayers and we'd speak the Word of God. And I believe God, just like He did for us, will bring you out of the drought and into the abundance of rain. Craig, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Would you mind closing us out with a prayer? I'd be honored. Father, I just thank you for everyone that's listening right now. I thank you for everything Charisma does, Father, and getting hope out to the world, Father. And Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you are a comforter. And right now, who, whoever is listening to this, 
that if they're going through a drought in their life, if they're going through an unexpected challenge, Father, that you would be a comforter, Holy Spirit, to them right now. That you would speak into their life and you would let them know that their life isn't over and that, that God, you have a great destiny for them. And just like you used us, Father, you know, when we got the diagnosis, little did we know that we would become someone else's best hope when we're going through the most difficult situations in our life. And I ask, Father, right now, that anybody that's listening right now, that they'll keep going, that they won't give up, that, God, you, you will give them just what they need when they need it, and that ultimately, God, you will use this test in their life, you'll use this desert in their life, Father, to help other people and to bring them out of their desert in the abundance of rain. I'm believing it. I'm declaring it over their life, and I can't wait to hear the testimonies that come through this podcast of all the people that, God, you are bringing them out of their overwhelming circumstances, and you're breaking chains, and you're bringing them into their new abundance of rain. We believe it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Craig Johnson on Charisma Connection here on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Taylor Berglund, and thanks for joining us. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.